Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Pickett. This is Eugene Greenwich. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Dale McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. This is Cal Brooks. This is Marcus Burris. This is Sean Redditch. This is Tony Spackenthal. This is Andrew Blahoff. This is Graham Corn. This is Brian Curl. This is Jason Akamanis. This is Chris McDermott. This is Mike Ellis. This is Kevin Lich. This is Matt Smith. This is Michael Brooks. This is Brendan Teague. This is Jordan McMahon. This is Brett Burt. This is Matt Shanahan. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 29 of Amato's Fifth Quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and tonight we are joined by three-time NBL champion, Matt Shanahan. Now, Matt is quite the journeyman, playing for many NBL clubs throughout his almost 400-game career, including the Southeast Melbourne Magic, North Melbourne Giants, Brisbane Bullets, Cairns Taipans, Wollongong Hawks, Canberra Cannons, Hunter Pirates, Perth Wildcats, and the South Dragons. We delve into being part of the Magic's 1992 championship as a 16-year-old, his time at the Australian Institute of Sport, the 1994 championship at North Melbourne, and the strong culture at the club under Brett Brown before its ultimate demise. The 2001 underdog story with the Wollongong Hawks, still the one and only title in the club's history. We also touch on the difficult on-court times as a role player at the weaker Taipans and Pirates compared to his time at the stronger Wildcats. And we also discuss playing with some true NBL royalty during his career, including Daryl McDonald, Leroy Loggins, Ricky Grace and Joe Ingles. Now, during his time in the NBL from 1992 to 2008, he played 395 games, amassing 2,677 points 748 rebounds, 786 assists. He is a three-time NBL champion in 1992, 1994, and 2001. He was the Hunter Pirates co-captain in 2003-04, and he led the league in three-point percentage in 1999. So let's bring him on from the Magic, Giants, Bullets, Taipans, Hawks, Cannons, Pirates, Wildcats, and Dragons. It's Matt Shanahan about to come onto the ground. 
Shanahan with a height advantage on Stephen Black. He turns around against his former team and Shanahan opens his scoring again. Yeah. Shanahan working the baseline, a little too nimble for Mark Radke and Shanahan gets the job done. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and today we've got a veteran of the NBL. Matt Shanahan, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show tonight. Thanks, mate. You've played for the same amount of NBL clubs we've got at the moment. Yeah, well, that's what they say. I played on more teams than what there are in the NBL. So Unbelievable. I, I did a sportsman's night many moons ago with Sam Kekovic, and he told me I played in more clubs than Jimmy Barnes. So, <laughs> that's um, unbelievable. It's an enjoyable journey, but yeah, no, a lot of clubs. Well, your last NBL season was 2007-08, uh, 15, yep. 15 years ago now. I guess, what has, have you been up to in the last 15 years, and, and what are you doing now post-basketball? been a long time it's gone very quick actually but uh always throughout my playing career had a strong passion for coaching and development been through development in various basketball associations around both new south wales and victoria spent some time in coffs harbour and was operations and development manager there and, and worked with kids for three or four years there and then moved back to my hometown melbourne where i was development manager at Knox Basketball, one of the biggest associations, if not the biggest in Australia, where they had 1,200 teams and 29 courts playing every week. So that was a massive challenge and six years of that and then moved on from there. And now um, finally found my own business now called Hoop Culture Basketball, where I've got my own facility now and developing kids. I think I've found my niche in life where I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Coached Many different levels in Siebel and NBL1 and Big V and men and women. But my true passion is development. So now I'm in create my own facility where I can develop kids is something I'm really passionate about. And um, two months into the business, things are going well. Excellent. Congratulations on your business venture. I ask this question a lot to, to people who sort of stay in the sport. Do you think when you've been sort of in the basketball world most of your life, it's hard when you finish playing to completely give the game away altogether? Yeah, it is hard if you're passionate about what you're doing. I mean, but then you also got to think about life after basketball, which someone um, like myself who wasn't a superstar needed to really think about that constantly. So, you know, I always thought about that, that basketball is what I loved. I wasn't blessed with any athletic gifts as a basketball player. I was, I was always smart and being able to play multiple positions and always probably overthought the game a little bit as a player and that probably led me to my next path into coaching and development. So it kind of tied in nicely. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the progress I've made after retirement. Yeah, beautiful. And so taking you back to where it all began. So as you said, you're originally a Melbourne boy. What yep. are your early memories in terms of your family life? And also, where did your love for basketball originate from? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. I was a football lover, mad lover of the Collingwood Football Club and wanted to play football. So oh, really? six, seven, eight, six, seven, eight years old, I wanted to play football. But I came from a single parent family where I grew up with my mother and she didn't like the contact sport that was football at the time and tried to eye me off to something else. And then my mother was lucky enough to work with um, one of the legends of Australian basketball in Barry Barnes. Totally oh, wow. different industry. She worked in electrical, a place called Sharp, where they sold microwaves and stereos, and Barry was a salesman. And Barry suggested, hey, come along to an NBL game at eight years old at Nutterwadding Stadium, and went to my first game there. All intimate Nutterwadding Stadium, what it was back in the day, hosting an NBL game, loud. You know, I walked in there, i never forget, when I was eight years old, I walked in there, and I said, Mum, let's play basketball. So that was it for me. Barry filtered me to a domestic club and then he was a, a head coach 
director of coaching at Matawani Spectres in the junior program. So I went through that junior program and that's how it all began for me. So lots of thanks for the for the Barnes family and, and introducing me to the sport. And um, they've been a massive influence for me from the very start, even now to today. So do you think if it wasn't for Barry Barnes, you never would have played NBL? 100%. He introduced me to the game and t- took me to my first game and he coached the Spectres and then went on to, to coach Geelong Supercats. Mum and I travelled down to Geelong as a young teenage boy. I wanted to be in the rooms at halftime. Barry was cool enough to let me in the rooms at halftime. I just wanted to be a part of it. And he um, really exposed me to stuff that the normal kid wouldn't get exposed to, being able to sit in the halftime chat in an NBL game in the corner. Barry let me do that. And uh, yeah, forever, forever grateful for what he's done for me. So when was the moment, I suppose, when you realised that you were potentially good enough to make an elite level like the NBL? I was always passionate about the game, wanted to work hard, you know, wanted to strive to get better every day, and that's what I did. And then sort of things fell into place after that. You know, I uh, made an under-16 under state team. I had a little bit of setback two years before I broke my, actually broke my femur in an accident on a tractor, um, which set me back several years. But from under-16s, I made a state team. I was captain of that state team. I won a gold medal in that state team. And, and then from there, you know, I had a pretty good tournament, which I was pretty happy with. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a funny story. We, we became pretty good friends with a, an old guy, um, an old Magic guy called Darren Lucas. Played in the Southeast Melbourne Magic. And all of a sudden, they needed a training spot. So I was a, I was a 15, turning 16, very turn, early turning 16 years old. Darren gave me a call and said, oh, look, we're looking for a, a trainee player. And this is a 92 team that has um, their inaugural year at the Magic in the NBL. Looking for someone to come and train, would Matt be interested? And my mum said, well, hell yes. And jumped at that opportunity as a 16-year-old as any kid would. Would leave school pretty early to try to get to trainings and games in year 10. And sort of that sort of exposed me to NBL basketball. Wasn't ready, but I was thrown in the deep end as a, as a 16-year-old and then after a year with the Magic and then winning the championship, I was lucky enough to put a championship ring on my finger as a 16-year-old. Didn't play a minute, so that was that was kind of funny. I'm walking around high school with a championship ring on my finger and I didn't play a minute. Knew I wasn't ready for the NBL. And, you know, again, Barry was a major influence in me trying to get up to the Australian Institute of Sport, which I was lucky enough to do the next year where you can manage school and basketball pretty well. So I went up there the next year and... Um, you know, then uh, leaving the magic and going up to the institute and sort of finding my way there and being exposed to getting stronger and being quicker and basketball every day and fitting into everything I'm doing, schooling. Um, and then came back and played with the North Melbourne Giants after that. And then pretty blessed my first two years in the NBL. I won an NBL championship with the magic. And then the next year with a guy called Darren McDonald walked in to the North Melbourne Giants team and we won a championship that year. So my first two years in the NBL were pretty special. Yeah, and that's something I've been really excited to ask you. So you are you are listed in the NBL history books as a 1992 NBL champion with that uh, Southeast mm. Melbourne Magic team. Now, that, of course, that was a superstar team. Bruce Bolden, John Dorge, Robert Rose, Tony Ronaldson, led by Brian Gorgian. Do you consider yourself as much a part of that championship as the history books suggest you are? They put up 
goes off to Melbourne. They were sensational. I'm proud of my guys. I couldn't be happier. The monkey is officially off my back. Right, guys, and congratulations. A tremendous performance. Well, <laughs> it's a funny question. No, I don't. I was very lucky, right place at the right time, but sacrificed a lot of my own schooling at the time and everything else. And there's a lot of teams that have 10th men. And, you know, and I'll, I've played on three different championship teams and 10th man is more is just as important as a superstar. You can't have, you know, you can't show up to training every day with five players. You need 10. So do I feel like I was a part of it? Maybe not. No, pretty lucky to, to have a ring on my finger and fortunate to have one. But did I deserve one? Probably. Giving up a year of school for me, you know, a lot of times I'd, there'd be a lot of injuries throughout the year where I have to forgive school and, and try to be a part of a team that wanted to, to win a championship in their first season in the NBL. So, you know, while I didn't play a minute, I still feel like I was a, a, a part of a group. And I'm sure that 10 guys and all the nine guys that were part of that championship team still feel the same. So... You know, Andrew Gaze talks about the Spurs and he feels like he wasn't part of it and he sat on the bench. Well, you know, he's just as part of it as anyone else, really. And that's exactly the way I feel. And yeah. what was it like to be coached by Brian Gorgian? I'm not sure how much time you spent with him, you know, one-on-one necessarily, mm. but what are your memories of the time you had with him and your perspective on what has made him such a legendary coach in this league and this country? Yeah, well, Brian never wanted me to leave and go to the AIS. Maybe that was probably one of my bigger regrets after the 9-2 season, then winning the championship. My mum and myself spoke to Brian in great detail. I remember Brian sitting in my lounge room at, at my house and pleading with me not to go to the AOS and stay with him. And, uh, in hindsight, maybe that would have been a better idea. You know, I would have maybe developed a little bit better. You know, you look at the guys that he's developed in Jason Smith, and Sam McKinnon and Frank Dermick and everyone else that he's developed. Maybe that was a better decision, but look, you know, you make these decisions at the time that you think is the best for you. And I wouldn't have won that 94 championship or been a runner-up in 95. Or maybe I wouldn't have gone on to play 15 years in the NBL. But Brian and I have a great relationship now. And I still throw a lot of things off him as a coach. He's just an amazing communicator and amazing ability to bring the best out in people. And he definitely did that with me and made me feel very welcome as a 16-year-old way back when. So why was it that you made that decision to attend the AIS in 93? A couple of reasons. Try to balance school and, and basketball. And AIS does that very well. To get identified, you know, we were at the time we were trying out for national junior responsibilities where we eventually went um, in 1995 and won a silver medal in Greece and played the USA in the first game of the tournament and beat stars like Stefan Marbury and Vince Carter and Kevin Garnett in the first game of that tournament and, and went on to do special things like that. So there, were, there was a number of reasons why I decided to go. And, not, and, the, and the most important reason was I just wasn't ready for NBL basketball. My body wasn't ready. I wasn't mature enough as a, as a kid. Um, I needed to mature a little, bit, a little bit more and probably a lot of factors that sort of came to the decision that I did. Can you give the listeners a bit of an insight into what life at the IAS is like? Because... You were there with players like Simon Dwight and Aaron Traherr and Glenn Savile and these sort of guys. Yeah, you just live and breathe basketball, really. I, I thought being an only child and only parent, I'd, I'd miss, you know, miss home, miss my mum, but I didn't have time to miss my mum. You get up 6.30, 7 o'clock, you have a wait session from 7 o'clock to 
come back and have some breakfast. And then you go to a normal state school, which is down the road called Lake Ginandera, and they, the kids still go there now. And you might have five, four or five hours of schooling. So you might go from 9.30 till 1.30, and then you come back, have something to eat. We would train from 3.30, 4 o'clock till 6.30, depending on how long our coach at the time, Gordy McLeod, wanted to go. Come back, have dinner, have a shower, have dinner. And you'd have dinner with all the other athletes. So you got soccer players, swimmers, volleyball players, netballers. You'd have dinner with everyone. Um, and then you'd have to go to study hall from 7.30 to 9.30, where you'd go and they'd have tutors for you to help you get through your schooling at the time. Um, and then you... <laughs> You'd just be too tired and go to bed because you're going to do it all again the next day. So I truly loved it. It was something that we had 12 guys that were there that were all striving to do the same thing and look at, look back, you know, really vividly on those memories and they were, they were great times. So do you ever think or have you ever thought about how different your NBL career may have turned out, whether it be better or worse, had you stayed with Gorgian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. For better or worse. No one knows that answer, but I have no doubt Brian would have developed me into a player and and someone that could have went further, could he have made me better? Maybe, but I, I knew where I was at at the time, so I feel like looking back, I made the right decision. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick quarter time break here on A5Q. Recently, I've become an ambassador of Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style too. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not achieve this efficiently. So if you want high quality results, you're going to have to go for high quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair, beard, and grooming products and tools for any well-groomed man. These products are actually going to get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair, and beard thoroughly without putting a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, brushes, combs, and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for the past two years and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your hair game to that next level without breaking the bank, you've got to check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DAMATO10, spelled D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you're going to get 10% off your purchase for a limited time only, so get in quick. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Moving ahead to 1994, so you join North Melbourne Giants as a backup point guard to Daryl McDonald, and you're part of another championship. Again, superstar team, the great Daryl McDonald, who I've had him on the show before, Paul yep. Rees, Daryl Pierce, Larry Sengstock, led by Brett Brown. You beat yep. Adelaide in the grand final series and claim the title. What are your memories of being part of that team, the championship, but just the season in general, 1994? No point now because the game's over. Sengstock for two, and Larry drops two more points in. The clock's running down. Rose will have one last three. And the foul has been called. No, it hasn't. The fairy tale is now complete. North Melbourne are the champions in season 94. Yeah, like I was a 17, 18-year-old boy and I was always a, a shooting guard growing up as a junior and I never forget Brett recruited me. I got recruited by two teams. I got flown up to Brisbane 
and got shown around Brisbane by Bruce Palmer, who wanted me to play for him up there. And then um, obviously coming home was pretty important on $15,000 for both contracts at the time. So 15000 know, that's what you're $15, on. $15,000, that's right, yeah. Come back for $15,000 and play at home sort of made more sense than living up in Brisbane, which was Bruce was a fantastic coach in his own right. But yeah, coming back home was made more sense. And then Brett tells me he's going to turn me into a point guard. And then I'm like, oh, okay, great. And he's like, oh, we're going to bring this American in. You're going to play behind. Pretty good player. I was like, fantastic. So this guy shows up and got long arms and athletic. And I'm learning the point guard position while this guy's kicking my butt every day at practice. So I had to learn quickly how to become a point guard. And I think in hindsight, Daryl, you know, had a big play in, in, in my career, being able to play multiple positions. You know, he was my best man at my wedding. We're, we've been best mates ever since. And we'd go out, we'd kick each other's ass and go each other hard at practice. We made each other better. And I think, I hope he thought I made him better, but he definitely made he definitely made me better player playing against him every day and made me more valuable as a getting recruited to other teams because I could play, you know, multiple man of positions. I could play the point guard, I could play the off guard and shoot it. So... You know, those memories of that Giants team still to this day was the best team I've ever played on. And again, I didn't play a lot. I was on a star-studded team, like you said. Um, but the camaraderie we had was special and, and it's nothing you can manufacture, you can't make as a coach. Brett was lucky enough to recruit uh, just a fantastic bunch of men that, that just played their role. You know, we weren't even picked to make the top six, let alone win the championship. We played a half-court trap back into a zone and we won the championship with Daryl stealing the ball off everyone <laughs> all the time. So, you know, that was a real special year because we weren't predicted to do anything. And I, I, I keep bringing it back to just the camaraderie we had as teammates. You know, I was 18-year-old and I was playing with Larry Senstock and Daryl Pierce, guys that were double my age. But still, to this day, we all communicate with each other and we're still good, very good friends. So... Fantastic memories of that first year in, in North Melbourne for sure. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic insight. And what what do you think? Because I, I love D Mac. I reckon he's he's one of the best players that's ever come out here in Australia. What do you yep. think it was that made him so good? Scores a level. It was a two point shot. So again, North Melbourne will have the last play in this first period of overtime. McDonald can win the game for North Melbourne. So it's come down to the last shot again. He's got to go. Oh, he's got to go. McDonald's. He wants to draw the foul. Up goes the shot. Oh, makes it. Makes what it. What a shot. And the game McDonald's. is over. McDonald has won the game for North Melbourne on the buzzer in the first period of overtime. Listen to the crowd and look at the Giants. What a sensational performance and what a sensational cup. Oh, he's just so unselfish. He made people better. He was competitive. He was a winner. Some people would say he couldn't shoot the ball, but you couldn't you couldn't really play defense off him because if you did, he would just pinpoint passes right by your ear as a defender. So you had to play on him. Um, you had to pressure him, but then he'd kill you in the other way. So his personality, pretty laid back, but he, he fit in with the group really well. I remember a lot of times if you didn't catch a ball from him, you'd throw it straight to your face, so you better catch it. So... We had a big fella called Paul Reese um, back in the day and didn't have the greatest hands, but he learned to have great hands because the ball was coming at a million miles an hour straight at his face, so he better catch it. So 
yeah, no, he was just a he was a fantastic guy, and you know, I look at point guards. I was watching the game tonight actually, and there was no there's no one that compete with D Mac. The way he ran a team and and made people better was just amazing to watch, and, and I learned a lot, and obviously, you know, helped you know my longevity in the league for sure. What about the year after? So 1995 is pretty interesting. You had Chris Gent join the club and I guess you could say you arguably a stronger side that second year round and you beat Perth in game one of the grand final series in Perth, but you still end up losing overall. Yeah. What do you think sort of went wrong after game one? For here over the half-court line, one second left and North Melbourne had drawn first blood in the 95 grand final series. Winning game one in Perth by seven points. 104 to 97. The Giants completing their fourth game in six days. What a marvellous effort. The defending champions will be tough to beat now. The Wildcats will have to come from a game down in the grand final series. The Giants made the long trip after playing in the semi-final series during the week. They've won this match. to 88. We're counting down. Three, two... Here's Rudy. The Wildcats are champions. The Wildcats have won their third championship in the NBL. Champions for 1995. Let the crowd tell the story. I was the one that got away. So game one, we, we beat the pants out of Perth in Perth. And then we, we go back to North Melbourne to, to seal the grand final series. Um, I remember the, I'm looking up the old glass house where we used to play the streamers and balloons are ready to fall down we're up 12 points at half time and you know we uh we come short in that game they have to fly back over to Perth and get pants by 30 so kind of the one you let go and that's the hard pill to swallow it wasn't they didn't win it we lost it so learning curve for me you know <laughs> my third year in the NBL and I'm gonna win my third championship and we lose but yeah, yeah like wow. you, like you said we had a great team and Christian coming into our team just made us that much better. Taking over from Paul Maley, who was a fantastic importing himself, but had a back injury. Chris was a an NBA caliber shooter, like he was unbelievable. But yeah, just the one that got away, really. So going forward a couple of years, North Melbourne dissolved in 1998. How did you sort of view that as a player? Were you guys at all privy to what was going on, and and what's that? How does that process work from a player's point of view? From memory, we weren't really privy to it. We, we were kind of, yeah, are we alive? Are we going? Are we not? And then all of a sudden we're not. And then it's a mad rush to try to find a job somewhere else. So, are you literally yeah, just that, left on your own? Like yeah, that, no one helps you find a contract? Oh, I had an agent at the time that was trying to help me find somewhere. But really it's just sort of, you know, you want to hang on. You want to stay in the club that you love. You know, I'd been there six years for me and, six great seasons and there was a nucleus there that wanted to stick around and, as well as Brett at the time but you know that's how volatile our sport is basketball you know I played on nine different teams like I said but you know there was jeez I can't even count I think there was five of them that went broke so I was forced to go find somewhere else to go play it wasn't like I was cut and had a choice or you know got offered a better deal somewhere else I actually, actually had to go find somewhere else to play and that was the case with North Melbourne was lucky enough to get a contract up in Brisbane, play under Brian Curl for a season, and then get exposed to different different teams and different camaraderie, and things change. Not the same as what you, you know, what we had in North Melbourne. So it was a massive adjustment for me. And you've mentioned a couple of times now the camaraderie. 
what's the word? The culture at, at yep. North Melbourne seemed very, very strong. What was that emotion like when the club did dissolve and it was sort of all over? I mean, I know the friendships obviously still exist, but within the club, it's the club's not around anymore. So what's that emotion like? It's hard. Yeah, it's tough. You know, we've all got to find jobs and we're all got to find different employment. Brett went off to San Antonio and we all went our separate ways. And you know, I remember vividly Brett and sending me gear. Um, he sent me a couple of pairs of shorts and a couple of t-shirts from San Antonio to Brisbane, which was cool. But we just still keep in contact. We tried to keep in contact with each other. It was amazing camaraderie. It was something, you, like I said before, it was something you couldn't, can't rip or make up. You can't, you can't make it up. Um, we just no, got along. We, yeah, we just got along. And I, I hate to say it, but back then we used to go out. You know, after games, we used to party together. Every one of us it wasn't like two or three that would go home. It was ten players would go and spend the night in the nightclub and have a few drinks and have a good night. We wanted to be around each other. You know, we truly wanted to be around each other. And that's, as you go on, and as I went on in the NBL, <laughs> you start to find out that that's not always the case. Sometimes you don't want to be down around certain people due to their personalities or conflicts, whatever it might be. But very fortunate in my first two or three years to be a part of just an amazing bunch of people. But we've had 10-year reunions, 20-year reunions. God, our 30-year reunions not far away, a couple of years away. So I'm sure we'll have that. And at least you guys got to experience the ultimate together. You actually won a championship together, so you've actually mm-hmm. got that championship there to sort of symbolise that, that camaraderie. Absolutely. So it's, a, it's, a bond, it's a bond you can't take. And again, I put my hand up. I was a 10th man. Didn't play a lot. Very hard to play when I've got, you know, an all-star five and, you know, runner-up MVP player like Darren McDonald that I'm playing behind. But did that give me longevity in the NBL? Absolutely. So don't regret those days for sure. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. So you mentioned the year after you you go to Brisbane, you spend one season at the Brisbane Bullets. You played under Brian Curl, who I've had on the show as well, played with Leroy Loggins, who is arguably the greatest import to ever play in the NBL. What was it like to share a locker room with Leroy Loggins and I guess that one season you had with him? Yeah, Leroy was a different personality. He kept to himself, but was a privilege to play with as well as to be coached by Curly. You know, I look back on my career and I've been very privileged to play with a number of legends in the NBL. You know, Ricky Grace, you know, Leroy, Steve Woodbury was there that year, was MVP of the league, just an unbelievable player. D-Mac, Daryl Pierce, Larry Sensok. I've played with some amazing players and Leroy's one of them. Leroy was at the tail end of his career and, yeah, like, it was just it was, that year I was with him was his kind of farewell tour where... Everywhere we went, people were saying thank you and standing ovations for the um, job he gave for everyone in the NBL and the commitment he's given, everything he's given to the league. 
but he could still go. Like he was 40-something years old and he was getting it done. So, you know, he was fantastic to play with. So the year after Brisbane, you went to Cairns Taipans. Now, this was their first season in the league under Rod Pop. Yep. Not not a very successful first year on the court. You finished bottom with just two wins. But I'm really interested to hear over there in Cairns and what that inaugural season was like for you guys as players. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> It was, um, I actually came in for a guy that was, did his knee, Troy Boundy, who I think he was the captain of the team at the time. He'd been in Cairns most of his life. He came in there after five games, their first year in the NBL, having, this has been, being their first professional team in Cairns, 30 plus degrees, massive lifestyle change for me and my partner at the time. And it was extremely difficult. So, and then to lose the games we did, talk about a 360. Being a part of very successful teams and then going through what we did with an inexperienced head coach and then a team that just wasn't talented enough to compete in the NBL, ultimately. But try to do the best you can with the situation and try to get the best out of yourself. Difficult, but um, I remained positive and kept working hard to try to get that next job. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously Cairns are, and still are today, one of the smaller NBL clubs. You know, they don't have the biggest fan base. Back yep. then, in the first season, I dare say it would have been even smaller than what they are now. Yeah, although we got good crowds. We got good crowds to our game, and they, and they love their basketball, but it's a fairly tourist destination where people come in and out. So, in hindsight, the, the thing has worked. I think the supporter base is building, which is great, but just my year there wasn't great, and then at the end of the year... Guy Malloy came in and you know didn't see me in his picture, um, and then was lucky enough to go to the Wollongong Hawks, where that's another story. Yeah, and this is another thing I've been very excited <laughs> to ask you about because that Wollongong 2001 championship, still to this day in NBL history, it's very highly regarded and spoken about all the time. The only title in the club's history against the Townsville Crocodiles, you beat them under Brendan Joyce. What are your memories of that championship and, and what sort of made it finally click for Wollongong? Because they still haven't been able to get there ever since. Townsville need a prayer to force overtime. They go to the clutch man, Robert Rose. Reaching in, Charles Thomas has stopped him and Wollongong have prevailed. The Wollongong Hawks, a franchise foundation member after 23 years, have won the NBL championship behind the coach of the year, Brendan Joyce. The first team from New South Wales to climb to the top of the NBL mountain and Wollongong have prevailed in a hard struggle, coming from eight points down in the final period to win it by three. Full time from the swamp, reads Wollongong 97, Townsville 94. Yeah, again, it was sort of the North, that North Melbourne story, to be honest with you, for me. I got recruited by Brendan coming off the bench as a shooter and he recruited a couple of guys that people weren't sure about. He brought Melvin Thomas back. He brought a guy called Axel Dench, who was, funnily enough, I played junior basketball with all my junior career in Underwatting um, growing up. Some unknowns, Grant Kruger and a, and a little point guard called Damon Lowry, who had had a fantastic Seabull career at the time. So we were a bunch of unknowns. But again, it was that togetherness we had, the bond we had. We would be that team that would want to be together we'd want to be with each other whether that be going down the you know the local bowling alley and you know or shooting pool or going to have a drink or going to have a beer after a game we just wanted to be around each other and that was a bond that you know again like I said before you can't manufacture and we wanted to play for each other we wanted to get it done for each other we had an uncanny instinct we won I think Brendan keeps going on and saying we won nine games by less than four points we just knew how to win 
just knew how to get it done. Then that came by committee, whether that be our bench, which was pretty strong. Our bench was the highest scoring bench in the NBL at the time for that season. Or through our starting lineup through Glenn Seville, who was a superstar in our team, Matt Campbell, Melvin Thomas. We had Charles Thomas in the point guard position. Um, and Axel being rookie of the year that year. Again, those things fell in place and then we just knew how to win those tight games because we could all look each other in the eye and know that we trusted each other and we can get it done. So very much like that North Melbourne team um, that I speak about, just had that camaraderie and that togetherness. And again, one of those really special years to be a part of a special team and, and win it in a, in a small town that hasn't won it before was just amazing. You know, I remember... Driving down it, you know, if everyone, anyone's been to Wollongong, you drive down this massive hill down to the down to Wynn Stadium after we won the championship up in Townsville, and there's seven thousand people waiting for us at the entertainment centre to celebrate our inaugural championship. It was memories that I'll never forget. You know, when we had a 20 year reunion this year, and Dory, who's now the owner of the Wollongong Hawks, was fantastic, getting us up there, paying for our accommodation, and making sure that that was a special day for us all. So. Yeah, again, some, some some amazing memories. You're obviously very big on, on the camaraderie and the friendship side of things. Do you think when there is a good culture within a club, that sort of leads the foundation for on-court or on-field success? 100%, yeah. And I have it with my teams that I coach. I have a no-dick system. I don't want any dicks on my team, you know. I want people that no actually egos. be... Yeah, no egos. Especially when in these lower levels and these big B competitions or these NBL one competitions, we're all coming to training on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and sometimes in the middle of winter here in Melbourne, um, in July, and it's freezing cold, and we all love to be home with our families, and we're showing up here. I don't want to look at any. <laughs> I don't want to look at ten guys and two of them. I don't want to be around. So, yeah, yeah. Um, right. I think that carries massive weight for me. Obviously, you had the success at Wollongong, and a couple of years later, you've moved to Canberra. This was the final season of their existence, and then you go to Hunter Pirates, and I believe yep. after this season, they finish up as well. I'm really interested to hear about these two seasons for Canberra and Hunter. What was it like to have two two clubs in a row fold and you're a part of it? Like, How, does, yep. how did that work? Yeah, well, Wollongong thing sort of finished on a really bitter terms for me. I was coaching Brendan's son, Daniel, at the time. Me and him had a massive running about Daniel and his coaching and the way I was coaching his son, which ultimately ended in my um, departure from Wollongong. So that was kind of, you know, not, not a great way to leave the club. And I was stuck in the middle of the 2002 season with nowhere to go. So the Cannons were on their downfall. They had a few players that were out. They asked me if I could come and play the last eight games with them. And I, of course, said yes to try to keep my NBL career alive. Go to Canberra, have eight really good games where I you know, I think I averaged close to 19, 20 points a game. I had some real responsibility, which I really you know, flourished being, you know, I was a backup in Wollongong where I had to sort of come in and produce straight away. I probably played about probably an average of 10 minutes a game to come to an environment where I just was the man and had to play, which I really loved. And then from that, the license was bought by a consortium from Newcastle. They bought the Newcastle, uh, the Canberra license, and then became the Hunter Pirates, which I became the captain of their inaugural team, coached by Bruce Palmer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he played with uh, Kevin Brooks was there as well. Yeah, Kevin Brooks was there. A few other players were there. Again, another tough season for an inaugural team in the NBL. Didn't wasn't very successful. Bruce got 
fired halfway through the year through stupid circumstances where he never should have been fired. Bruce is one of the best coaches ever coaches in this country and he, he got really pushed that him leaving was really hard for me. But I was the captain of the team, I had to try to keep my head up. And then, uh, yeah, had a pretty good season, average 18, 19 points a game, and then was lucky enough to get signed by the Wildcats after that. So can I ask what the sacking was all about? I wish I knew. We were losing games. Bruce is sometimes a little bit too honest and said we weren't very good, which we weren't. Um, we didn't have the cattle that we needed, and the ownership group didn't, didn't have the finances that was needed to actually get the right cattle in to, for us to be competitive. Sometimes don't, people don't like Bruce you know, and his honesty, and Bruce spoke the truth. The owners didn't like it, so they let him go, in short. Right, right. With the Canberra experience, now, did you play with James Crawford when he came to Canberra? Because he played one game for Canberra. Were you there at that time? No, I don't think I did. I do remember that, though. Uh, Willie Simmons came. He came. Yeah, he did too. Yeah, you're right. You're games. right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember. No, I don't remember playing with James. Although I remember him in Perth playing against him, but no, I don't remember him coming. Okay. Yeah. So Perth came about, and of course, you've had experience playing for some clubs that had previously been struggling in many ways on and off the court, but now you go to the most successful on court in NBL history. I'm sure that would have been a big change for you. Yeah, I tell people they were the best, you know, some of the best years playing in Perth, and you're right, what they do on and off the court surpasses any team in the NBL, and I'm sure it is the same way now. It can be little things like, you know, we do a lot of promotions as professional athletes and, and, and just sometimes you can go to a promotion, you're talking to three people, been in now and you've hit three people. Not, that didn't happen at Perth. You'd go to a promotion and you'd, it would be a worthwhile promotion. We're doing a promotion to try to get people to come and watch us play. You know, you're hitting 300, 350 people. You go to a school and you're doing a clinic with the whole school. They just do things the right way. Extremely professional on and off the court. The crowd we had, the crowd you play in front of, they love and they hate you. So if you're not doing the right thing, they'll let you know. If you're playing well and doing the right thing, they'll also let you know as well. So they understand their basketball. Fantastic place to play, fantastic place to live. Really enjoyed my two years there and from you know, another <laughs> another regret of mine is leaving that place after two years. I had two pretty good years and made the finals. Obviously, they haven't missed the finals in, you know, I can't remember now, 33 years or whatever it is. So I had two pretty good years and then got off to come back to Melbourne, which I which I accepted and uh, probably shouldn't have. Just before I ask you why, what was it like to play with Ricky Grace? 482 games, four championships, and he was sort of at the tail end, but uh, what was it yeah, like yeah. To, to play with him? Yeah, unbelievable. You know, a really good human being. He was playing on one leg. He had a bad knee, so I ended up starting a lot of the games in front of him, and that caused a lot of frustration for him as, He's a competitor and always wanted to be his best and his body, unfortunately, was letting him down. But learn a lot from Ricky, how to play and how to be the mouth he had and understanding time and score and what was needed as a basketball and as a point guard. I learned a lot from him as I learned from D-Mac. So a fantastic year with him. But yeah, like you said, it was sort of at the dog end of his year as well, So of his career. So yeah, good times. Before we get into the final stretch of this incredible chat, we need to take a final break for three-quarter time here on A5Q. Now, as I'm sure you're all aware, I love podcasting. It really is an enjoyable ride and a chance for me to share my passion to the world. So why don't you do the same? Whether it be a sports podcast like mine, 
a comedy podcast, an educational podcast, a movie, TV show, or gaming podcast, or even if you just want to get a few friends together for a weekly chat. It doesn't matter what your podcast is about. What matters is setting it up through Podbean. Podbean is the best and most certainly the easiest way to start a podcast. And the best part of it is it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. If you hit up my special link at www.podbean.com slash A5Q, you'll have the choice of starting your brand new podcast for as little as $9 per month on an annual plan. Now that is an unbelievable price considering you'll get unlimited storage, beautiful podcast themes, you'll be able to map your own domain, comprehensive podcast stats and podcast monetization. Now, guys, I tried to set up my podcast with a few other websites and just couldn't work it out. It was way too complicated, but Podbean was just so simple, so easy to use, and it produced the results for me. So definitely, if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast, but you've got no idea how to go about it, visit www.podbean.com slash A5Q and get started with Podbean today to join the pod family. Or if it's easier, the link will be in the description below. But in the meantime, let's get back to the show. You said that you you regretted sort of the decision to come back. You played a couple of years there at the South Dragons and that's when your career came to an end. If you had your time again, you're saying you would have stayed at Perth? Yeah, yeah I think I learned better. Another new franchise that I was going to be a part of. New to the NBL, but it was a chance to come back to Melbourne. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it ended in my demise, you know, where it's, um, we had... You know, Mark Price is a head coach to start that first inaugural season. Um, and then, you know, Mark was pushed out and then Shane became a player coach, which didn't work. That made things tough for everybody. Yeah, because the, well, the South Dragons history is almost a bit weird because only around for three seasons. Obviously, the last season, it, Brian Gorshin leading him to the championship. But those first two seasons, Shane Hill, the player coach, you're saying it didn't work. What, what was that experience like with Hammer? Uh, it, it wore me down and it ultimately ended my career. I wasn't over it. My body was fine, but mentally I, I couldn't handle the, the stress that was put on it through that season for different reasons. You can't be in a professional league, but you can be a player and a coach. It's just, it's unheard of and it's hard to do. I, I actually tried to do it myself, coaching up in Ballarat and Siebel for a year in the similar year, I think it was 2007. I was kind of forced that role and didn't want it, but you, you just can't do that role. And it ended badly and bitterly. And um, Shane was let go two or three games before that last season, before Brian came in for different reasons. We were finishing last on the ladder. I never forget it, actually. We were coming second last. There was four games left in the season, and we were traveling to Singapore to play the Swingers, who were second last. And it was a nine-hour trip. Nobody wanted to do, you know, the game didn't mean anything. We were going to finish, going to be last, no doubt about it. And Singapore were going to be second last. No matter win, loss, or draw. And then Shane decided not to come on that road trip. Decided to get his ankle operated on, which kind of hurt us as players, um, where we thought he kind of neglected us and left us stranded. We didn't want to go on that flight, but we had to go finish the season and try to finish the season off. I think ultimately that led in, in his firing, which... He's pointed blame at many people, different people, including myself. But ultimately, it was, it was his own doing that, that, that got him fired. And then Guy Malloy came in and did a great job for the last three or four games. We were pretty successful those last three, three or four games. And then Gorge came in and put himself a team and I retired and, and the rest is history. So that was kind of the attitude later on in the season. Like you're saying that the players didn't really want to go. So, 
I guess it's like if you're unhappy in your job place, doesn't matter what you do for work. If you're unhappy, you're not going to perform at your best. And to say that most of the players didn't even want to go on the trip, that that sort of yeah, explains it. Yeah, mainly because we knew we were last. Singapore was second last. And the game we played didn't mean anything. So, like, it's the dog end of the season. And Singapore is not an hour trip away. It's a nine, ten-hour flight. So, like, and then you go on and play in Singapore and you're playing in a 10,000-seat stadium and there's 50 people there. It's a really hard trip. But you have to do it as a professional basketball. No one wanted to do it. You know, there's many things we don't want to do. And playing in Perth, my God, there's some terrible road trips that we have. There's 14-hour days and we're traveling to Cairns. People don't realize the things these guys go through on the road. But nobody wanted to do it. And uh, Shane had rolled his ankle and needed uh, ankle surgery, but it could have waited. It could have went longer. He could have had it after the season, but he decided to have it when he did um, and leave us to, to go on the road to Singapore, which no one wanted to do. Interesting. Mm. Okay, so what was it like to play with Joe Ingalls? So you spent some time with him at, uh, <laughs> at South Dragons. What was uh, obviously young Joe Ingalls, long before yeah. his NBA days, what was it like to, to play with Joe? Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, Joe's, um, we're still very good friends now. We talk a lot most weeks, whether it be a text or us putting shit on each other. He's that <laughs> he's that type of kid. But he came in as a rookie and he was just as arrogant as what he is now. He wouldn't he wouldn't pick a bag up or wouldn't do any rookie duties. He just refused to. He was, just, he was a tough nut. And then I remember that first game we played in New Zealand where Shane got hurt and hurt his back and I was a starting point guard and he had 28 points and I'd like to think I had a lot to do with his professional career after that. But <laughs> no one's ever given me credit for that, including Joe, which, no, he, I tell a lie. I actually tell a lie. He gave me one of his jerseys, NBA jersey, two years ago, which I'm very appreciative of. So, oh, that's awesome. No, nah, but he, um, he, you could tell from a long way from, you know, even then as a young kid, they called him Slomo, but he had some athletic abilities back then. He was just, he was just so much long. He was long and athletic and being a left, he was just so unorthodox to play against. And then, uh, you know, no one thought, and me included, that he would have the career he did, but couldn't be prouder of him what he's done. Yeah, and he seems pretty keen to one day come back to the NBL. Before he retires, he will at least play one or two seasons in the NBL. 100%. Come back and he'll play a role for a team and he'll do what he has to do and he'll just enjoy life and his kids will get to watch him play, which is the way every athlete wants to go out with their kids understanding what their what their dad did. Matt, just as we are about to sort of close up now, as you mentioned before, you were, of course, a role player. You, you didn't necessarily get maximum minutes. Yep. Plenty of role players, past and present. But as someone who did it for so long, 17 years, almost 400 games, do you ever get frustrated with not always getting the minutes that I, I would assume you would want and not always being the so-called main man in a squad? Yeah, you're not, you're not an athlete if you don't get frustrated with that. The thing with me is that, and it probably uh, helped my longevity, was my work ethic. People knew that wherever I went, I was going to work. And whatever role I had, I was going to take it. Um, where there's a lot of players out there, and even now, that they would go to a certain team and, you know, they don't like their role, they'll be pissed off, and and, and it would ultimately affect the team results. I wasn't that guy, so I was always willing to sacrifice myself for the benefit of the team, which added to my longevity, but said it was a... And I was thinking about this before I actually spoke to you. I was, I was trying to make a living. For me, I'm not ashamed at all to say it. You know, I earn, I probably average $35,000 to $40,000 a year um, in the NBL for my 15 years. So I, I had to make money other ways. So on the off season, I'd go and play in the Seabull 
in Cairns, I worked in radio, for God's sake. I worked on a rock patrol where I drove a, a RAV4 out to Port Douglas and opened up the back of the car and did a live cross um, back to the station where I give away goodies in the back of the back of the RAV4. I needed to find ways to make money, but ultimately I was doing something that I loved and that I was passionate about. For me, and I have kids of my own now, I want them to find something they're passionate about because when you're passionate about something, it's not a job, it's something you love to do. So to answer your question, yep, definitely got frustrated. But what I found throughout my career is that one coach would see one thing in me and then I'll go play someone else and they thought I'd be something else. And a lot of times, sometimes that was good. Sometimes that coach thought I was a starter and a point guard or you know had real responsibility and other things it wasn't. And, and that's, that's a hard pill to follow. But I was resilient through my time. No, I really appreciate your honesty, man. It's a fantastic answer. Obviously, as we said, you won three championships. Do you have like a 3-2-1 order of what championship, I guess, means the most to you? Or are you one of those, you know, a championship's a championship and they're all equal? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, if you think about the teams that we had, the inaugural Magic team was their first team in, first year in the, in the NBL. Again, probably not picked to, to win it and a guy called Rob Rose comes in and just rips the league apart that North Melbourne team again the team that wasn't picked to win it we were never favourites we were never there like I said before I play a half court trap in the zone and win the championship and then the Wollongong team that was again unknowns and then to win the championship three pretty special stories all underdog you know, stories yeah all underdog stories not favourite stories so do I have a favourite not really I have bonds with each and every one of those guys in those team and then uh, feel lucky enough to, to have three championship rings. Matt, now just as we are about to, to close up, I always finish off my podcast interviews asking these last three questions. In your entire NBL career for any club, who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who's the best coach you ever played under and why? Yeah, well, very good question. Played with? It's obvious, Daryl McDonald just made other people better, made me a better player playing against him in practice and just a lifelong best friend. Playing against Brett Maher, unbelievable player. No weaknesses, go left, go right, try to stop him. He could go past you, he could pull up for a jump shot, he could shoot the three, he was athletic, just a nightmare to defend and a good guy as well. Coach, funnily enough, it's Brendan. Brendan was honest, and that's all you want as a basketball player. Told you your role. You, you, I didn't like my role, but I had to accept it for the benefit of the team. My role was to come in and shoot the ball. He, he told me that. He made that very clear. If I was going to miss the show, I was going to sit down. If I made it, I might stay in a bit longer. It was a shit role, but I, I respected it, and I respect him being honest. And for me as a coach, I learned a lot from that, being honest. Some coaches do bullshit you and tell you what you want to hear. And I respected that from Brendan. Brendan was thorough. We had individual meetings every week, you know, where he was very clear on our roles and blah, 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 like I just said. He brought you bring in special guests to talk to the team. He would just do everything he could to make sure that we were prepared the best. So while our relationship ended poorly, I still have a lot of respect for him as a coach. Do you mind if I ask if your relationship has mended since uh, your time there at Wollongong? No, it hasn't. Yeah, it's a shame. And it is a shame for me. You know, th- things have got to move on. Part of a special thing, part of a special team, but unfortunately, no, it hasn't mended. Does that make like reunions and stuff a bit awkward? He wasn't there, so it does make it very awkward. But uh, we, we would love to have him there. And, uh, 
but he decided not to show up. So, yeah, no, like, there's no hard feelings for me. I think time moves. We learn from our mistakes, some of us, and I've learned from mine. I've made plenty. We've all made plenty of mistakes, but uh, the bond we had after winning that championship should never be, it should never come in the way. No, absolutely. Matt Shanahan, I appreciate your honesty. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. I really do appreciate your time, and I wish you all the very best with your business and everything you're doing now with family post-basketball. That was really good, mate. Really good question. Thank you, man. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time.